Topping Talks. Hundred and five hours a week, can't be beat. Welcome to Topping Talks. Topping Talks is a Topping Tribune production. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by Topping Technologies and ExpressVPN. Topping Talks is also on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and Stitcher. Topping Technologies is an IT valid added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in security. Heck, I see their founder twice a day. I have to say he's quite handsome and brilliant. If you're a business in Texas and could use it to hand, you can reach us at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Also, are you part of the 3.6% of Americans who still care about their privacy? If you are, then perfect. ExpressVPN can assist. Even though 96% of stats are made up on spot, ExpressVPN does give 100% guarantee via their 30-day back money guarantee. Now, without further ado, I'm proud to say today I'm interviewing Larry Warren, who is the Senior Information Security Consultant at Deloitte Consulting. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Excited to be here. Yeah, and kind of going back in time, tell me, you know, first big career job, tell me what inspired you to first join the military. Well, uh, actually, I was, I'm from a small town in Arkansas, and I have an aunt that lived here in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And my plan was to come up here in the summertime, you know, find a job and start school in, in the fall. Uh, but her boyfriend was an Army recruiter. And so um, you can imagine how those conversations went every time I seen him. And uh, I guess, you know, before the fall came, he had, you know, sold me to the program, <laughs> so to say. And uh, February, I was, uh, well, I think it was like in November, I was enrolled in the, in the uh, delayed entry program. All and right. I shipped out for basic training in February the following year. So that was my journey to um, the military. Uh, my first duty station, I was 11 Hotel, was which was a anti-crewman. Uh, oh, really? What's that? Uh, so basically, we shot this tow missile, which is a wired optical track anti-armor missile rocket, whatever you want to call it, oh, cool. and it destroys tanks and you know big target objects and things like that. So uh, my first duty station was in basic training was in uh, Fort Benning, Georgia, and my first duty station was in Fort Hood, Texas. Nice. Oh, yeah. Got to drive the uh, Bradley fighting vehicle and uh, shoot toes from that thing. Also. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Met my best friend there, uh, Benjamin. Uh, we're still friends today, 30 years strong. Wow. Uh, he lives in Las Vegas. Uh, shout out to Benjamin, his family, Charles. Um, you know, just good people. I'm still in contact with a couple of people from my first duty station. So, uh, you know, friends in the military, you kind of with them for a lifetime. And, um, we have a lot of good moments and flashbacks. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And then what was your first deployment like? And wh where was it? Well, my first deployment, uh, actually, this it wasn't with that unit. Um, oh, really? Yeah, a lot of th things happened in between that. So that was a peacetime um, enlistment. Mm -hmm. um, I got out, um, and um, I was coming back to the plan that I originally had was to go to school. Mm -hmm. Initially, I was going to be an electronic, uh, electronic technician. But... Um, you know, I started getting involved with computers. Computers started making more buzz. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up getting a job at, um, I was AOL, um, you know, tech support. That was oh, my hey. first job, yeah, while I'm going to school. The original American Online. That's right, American Online. I <laughs> uh, graduated from that and uh, worked at a big a national insurance company doing tech supports in-house for agents uh, oh, really? for the internal uh, network. Uh, and then 9-11 happened. Mm -hmm. So... I remember I was, you know, getting ready to go to work or I was laying in bed watching TV and I saw the whole 
thing on TV unfold. And, um, you know, a lot of things was happening during that time. And um, I heard the call for prior enlisted, you know, infantrymen to rejoin the ranks and fight this war on terror. So I kind of put everything on hold from there. Oh, wow. Rejoined the military, volunteered to go back in again in the wartime, even though you know, I had a pretty nice career and I was going through school. Went back into the military, uh, light infantry this time. I was sent to Korea. I was really trying oh, to wow. get to uh, uh, Fort uh, Fayetteville or Fort Campbell. Yeah. And um, um, the Army had other plans for me, so I went to Korea, which was a good thing, actually, because Korea actually made me the soldier that, you know, I felt like I was really part of the team. It was a lot of hard training. Really? So um, even after the basic training, you just got even more specific and more difficult as well? Sure, sure. It was um, it was 100 miles an hour, let's go every day. You know, we didn't oh, yeah. stop for the bad weather or anything like that. It was no excuses. You know, if it was ice on the ground and it was time to go out and run, we ran on the ground with ice on it. Oh, jeez. So um, we walked around in creeks. It was... The weather was terrible. It was the hottest I had been in a long time. The coldest. Hotter than Texas? Yeah, it, it gets hot. Oh, you know, shit, really? It gets hot in Korea. You have a, and it's, the terrain is really terrible, too. So, I mean, you're climbing a lot of mountains. You're trying to get right. to the highest point so you can, you know, have the superiority. Um, Absolutely. So, um, but I had wonderful leadership, you know, and, and – being there actually taught me how to be a leader. So I'm glad that I went there before I was actually deployed to Iraq because I had a lot of leadership that had combat experience. They were mostly Army Rangers. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we just had a different mindset. And, you know, you might not appreciate it when you're going through it, right? But um, when you're being asked to pick up and go and do something like we were being asked to do, mm-hmm. you kind of want that hard-edge leadership. Right. And... Um, it, it, it did as well, I think, you know, um, but everybody has to buy into it, and I surely bought into it from battalion all the way down to my company level. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. What was the most memorable part of Korea, or what was, what was your favorite thing about it, I guess, in, in terms of, like, it was non-military as well? I don't know. I, did you get, like, time off, or what was it like? Yeah, yeah, we, we had time. We did a lot of training, too, but yeah. when we had time off, we, we trained hard and we played hard. So yeah. uh, there, there were times when um, I enjoyed the food. Um, I'm still a foodie. Oh, yeah. uh, I like food from different cultures, countries, and, you know, um, the food was really what sticks out to me. Uh, some people might say the shopping, but that really wasn't my thing. But yeah. uh, the food and the training um, were the things that stand out the most to me. Yeah. 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 And then where do you go from there? So from there, we were deployed to um, Iraq. So we, it was a show. I think we got notified like in the middle, in the mar- May, mm-hmm. and by August we was wheels up in the air. Oh wow! So yeah, it was a quick turnaround. But we always trained. We always had that in the back of my mind. We we might get called. Yeah. And so and and at this time it was a lot going on, right? Because you had tension on the Korean border also with North Korea. So I think a lot so, of people forget about that. Yeah, it was people were digging in. They're, they they were digging in brigades at the same time. The stuff was going on in Iraq, so we didn't know which way we was going, but we felt the ten, we felt the tension. So uh, we just had that mindset. We had great leadership, like I said before, that had combat experience. So they always kept us focused on the mission and be ready at all times. Yeah. It's a great place. It's not like a lot of places you, you can go in the, in the army because you know at any time in Korea the horn could go off, and we did this a lot. 
and you didn't know if it was real oh, or really? drill until after you got down to the LZ and somebody said index. So um, it could happen wow. at any time. It could happen 12 o'clock in the afternoon, 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, sporadically, yeah, they kept us on our toes a lot. We had to have bags packed ready to go all the time. Well, I, would de I would definitely keep you on your toes. You yeah, all hours of the day. You never know if it's the real deal. Correct. Yeah. Did, out of curiosity, did anyone ever get the, was it like the, the boy who cried wolf syndrome or it's like, were they, or just like security fatigue where, you know, you get kept getting called so many times thinking it could be the real deal. Did yeah, they ever have the optics? Uh, yeah, and they, they actually did that to us because we would have them sometimes three or four days in a row. Oh, jeez. Yeah. And sometimes it might be 40 days, 30 days before you see it. You know? Yeah. But it just happened. You didn't know. And you just, in the back of your mind, you know, always had that scenario if it's, if, you know, you have to be acceptable to the situation, mm -hmm. right? So, I'm guessing it could also kind of kind of train you to be calm and cool collected because you're used to having that routine into you where that you're ready you know, to go right off the bat. Yeah. So I could also condition you, I would guess, to... That's how we train. Yeah. You know, it was all about muscle memory. Um, yeah. We had the um, battle drills that we would go through. And, uh, you know, like I said, when you're a young soldier and you're going through this stuff, you don't know the importance of it, right? Mm -hmm. But going to Korea, I realized that the more you do things over and over in repetition, muscle memory... When you get in that situation, you don't have to think as much. It just comes natural, right? right. And it kind of stops all the panic. And, you know, people can perform and um, do their duties and have, handle their responsibilities at the same time. Right. And then did you, how did your role evolve as you were in the uh, changing roles throughout the experience in the Army? Sorry. Or, or how did your role evolve or how did things change as you continue to compress? Uh, yeah, so I think I started, I started off as a um, rifleman. Um, in a squad in Korea, and I went all the way up. By the time we uh, were in Iraq, I was a team leader slash squad leader. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And how, so how I went from not being a leader to actually running a whole uh, squad at, at times. And just for layman's terms, for the folks who aren't more militaristic, um, what does a squad entail? How many guys or how many duties do that? Yeah, a squad uh, for the U.S. Army is uh, two teams, uh, four men each team. So it's a nine-man squad counting oh, wow. the leader. And it's usually uh, three teams in a platoon, and then you have a weapons uh, squad, which is the heavy guns. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it entails a lot. It's a lot of responsibility. Um, and like I said before, you have to buy into it. The subordinates have to buy into it, and that's what makes the mission go smooth. And I had some great leadership. I can't call everyone's name, but from battalion commander to, you know, sergeant major to – company commander and first sergeant, and my squad leader and platoon sergeant, you know, those were some really good tacticians, and especially my squad leader. He was the universal soldier. Um, uh, we had a battalion competition one time, and I think we had about almost a 1,000 people in our battalion. Oh, wow. And he came in the first place. Oh, really? Uh, shooting, road march, PT tests. He was just, he was that guy that, you know, I guess if you had to have a, ca a real-life Captain America, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be the poster yeah. guy. He he was that guy for our battalion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of have Kind of failed to demise in Iraq. He didn't make it home. Right. But, you know, he was a hard a hard guy, but I appreciate the hardness that he gave us because that would saved a lot of us. Absolutely. It yeah. makes you stronger, too. That's right. That's right. There's an old saying, you know, 
hard times make strong men. That's right. And nobody wants to come home and tell easy stories, right? Uh, so. Exactly. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's right. Then what was it like to have your first IT role out of the military? Yeah, so um, when when I came, af after leaving the military, uh, you know, I had a I had a clearance. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of opportunities available. Um, uh, my first position, uh, I, I worked in the Southern Special Operations Command uh, doing some uh, protective security uh, work there. Oh, awesome. Uh, yeah. Um, that was kind of like my first um, adventure outside of the military working for the government yeah. and military uh, base. And I really enjoyed that. And like I said, I had a small IT background, but I always kept studying, reading books, and staying up with what's going on, right? Right. So um, another opportunity arose um, where I started working for working as a system admin uh, for um, a lot of different contractors working on surveillance equipment. And so my job went from... Was that overseas or uh, local? Overseas. All right, so DOD, DOD contractors? Yes. Yep. Oh, yeah. And so... You know, my job was initially I uh, became an operator of the equipment where I would be embedded with a military unit mm -hmm. and we could use this to support the warfighter on the yep. battlefield. Um, and there was a lot of video and data that come along with that. So, we, you yeah. know, security was still high. We were still high in network security. But I had to configure these devices also mm -hmm. and be able to support the mission. So we kind of worked head in head with, you know, the, the different units, and mostly I was assigned with uh, foreign units. So I did some work with the uh, British military. Oh, cool. I did some work with the um, Romanian military, mm -hmm. and um, that's to the extent. Um, I did graduate from that and became a um, FSR, field service representative, mm -hmm. for the same piece of equipment, which entailed the same thing, but I was also the guy that was flying around to different bases oh, in really? Afghanistan, helping people troubleshoot issues, Oh my gosh! And set up, you know, new uh, platforms that a new unit might want. Yeah. If they was moving, you know, twenty miles down the road to a different base, then I would come and pack that equipment up and reinstall it somewhere else. And it would take like a week. It was a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. And usually we do this in one or two man teams. Oh yeah. So it it was a lot, and that entailed, you know, fiber optics, a little bit of robotics, uh, Ethernet, um, configuring Cisco routers and switches. Yep. Um, wow, just just a lot. It was a lot. Oh my gosh, yeah. we need to tell that story on all those IT forums on Facebook where people are complaining like, I had to drive you know two hours to put a desktop somewhere. I'm like, well, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. helicopter rides, yeah, convoys, <laughs> you know, in, yeah. and it's I'm, it's not exactly a good weather place over there. Oh no, no, <laughs> terrain is terrible. Yeah, you know, everywhere you go, terrain is terrible. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a challenge, but you know we 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 made it and. Um, I think we did a lot of good work over there, and I had a good team that I worked with. I can't take any credit for anything I've done in the military, out of the military, because, you know, I'm always a part of a team. Mm -hmm. And so I have to give a shout-out to those people that I worked with also. Absolutely. Yeah. And then what was it like moving out of the defense contractor industry, or what inspired you to move on to a different segment? Well, um, so at, there was a time when everything in Iraq and Afghanistan was winding down. Yeah. And I decided, well, now it's time for me to go home, right? I think I've come over here. I did what I said I was going to do. Yep. And it's time for me to come home. So I, I finished school. Um, had a I have a degree in networking and communications management, bachelor's degree. And um, about six months before graduation, 
you know, I, I start, you know, paying attention to the news and understanding that cybersecurity was really, you know, becoming a buzzword. Oh, yeah. And there was a lot of breaches happening and a lot of things were taking place. So I was like, well, I've been doing this for a while. Let me see if I can pivot into that. So I jumped into a cybersecurity boot camp. I was doing that in the morning and going to school at night. Oh, really? So, yeah, I was all day Hustling. for like oh six gosh. months. Yeah. Six months? Six months all day. Um, it was uh, it was wild, but I was I was learning a lot on both ends. Yeah, uh, I got my first cybersecurity certification, and um, before you know it, I was at one of the you know a consulting firm. Yeah, EY. So EY was my first there. I was a uh, tier one cyber guy, oh, awesome. tier one, tier two, and um, you know I got exposed to a lot of different tools on the cyber side that I didn't really. Uh, get a chance to witness being just network security and right. things like that. So, you know, things like Splunk and oh, yeah. Carbon <laughs> Black and, you know, Fidelis and things like that. Uh, so it really just opened me up to, you know, the possibilities of learning everything in cyber, couple that with the things that I already knew and trying to get exposed to different things, right? So, but I was always the one that I just wanted to learn more. I was a sponge, yeah. you know, and for like two years, man, I, I locked myself in the house. I oh, really? work and come home, you know, because <laughs> I was learning things. And I probably got like six certifications in that Six? Time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I was, I was going hard. So That's awesome. Bro. Yeah. A lot of sacrificing, but, you know, oh, I think it pays off. But <clears throat> No sacrifice, no victory, right? That's right. That's <laughs> right. And so um, I left there, and I was working on a, a cybersecurity assessment team, CAT team, where I was a cybersecurity engineer. And basically, it was, um, I guess you can call it an ethical hacking penetration tester yeah. uh, junior role. Got exposed to a lot of different tools there on the, on the red side, on the offensive side. And um, just really, you know, broadened my my knowledge, you know. Yeah. It, it was like, I just, 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 just getting exposed to a lot of different things and tools and understanding the possibility and how they work. It kind of circled back around, and it made me more stronger SOC analyst. You know, right. seeing how attacks go out, performing those attacks, and then how they show up in the SIM tool and how they look in the logs, um, really just made me a better blue teamer. Absolutely. And so, of course, um, that role came to an end because the company was doing some restructuring, mm -hmm. and so they sent. Um, we had a, like a nine-man team there. And they sent that duties to India to save money. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we all had to go find out other employment. There was nothing else for us there. So. Oh, really? The whole team? The whole team, yeah. Oh, damn. Except for the leadership. I think they were okay. Yeah, yeah. of course. But um, uh, so, um, so I went back to the SOC. Um, now, at this time, I'm a Tier 2 analyst. Oh, nice. And I'm, I'm a lot stronger than I was at first. Um, learned you know, uh, uh, a lot of things got exposed to more tools there. McAfee, ESM, NSM, EPO. Um, that was really the, the uh, tool set that was used there a lot. And um, what year is that? That was in 2018, 2019. Oh, really? Okay, gotcha. Oh, no, 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 no. 1920, that's what it was, oh, 2019, okay. 2020. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. And so... Um, it, it it was it was good, you know, understanding different tool sets and, and things like that, um, and and how things work, you know, from from organization to organization, the the 
processes and the protocols a little bit different, but um, the basics of the, the foundation of the work is pretty much all the same. Yeah. So Similar you can pretty concepts. much fit in, yeah, yeah, wherever you go. And so now um, <clears throat> I left that role and I jumped into a consulting role mm-hmm. and um, working with a lot of uh, high-end clients there, um, you know, having communication on the phone, through email, uh, talking to clients about their issues, also creating a threat intelligence um, newsletter where uh, if we had clients that was in a certain sector, mm-hmm. we would tell them about the threats that's going on in their sector. Good idea. And, uh, and I worked on that um, effort with another um, consultant also. So, um, you know, it just exposed me to a lot. So, which brings me to my current role where I, I, I kind of do a lot of different stuff, right? It's, right. it's uh, threat hunting, um, you know, malware analysis, endpoint protection, um, vulnerability assessments, um, incident response. I mean, you never know what you're going to be called up to do. Sure. So having a wide range of experience really paid off for me, you know, going through that in my current role. Absolutely. That's yeah. the best thing about consulting is you get such a wide array of diverse opportunities. So you oh, get yeah. to work with so many different clients in so many different industries. There's, there's always new challenges, threats, and security yeah. vulnerabilities yeah. to yeah. see. You never get bored, right? No. I mean, it's <laughs> always something going on that keeps you interested. It's always a late night or early morning uh, that keeps you uh, keeps you going and keeps, your, keeps you thinking. Yep. Um, so that's what I enjoy about it. I'm always learning and I'm, I'm trying to soak in as much as I can. Oh, yeah. What do you think the future of IT security in terms of threats? I know, like, a couple of years ago, everyone was spending a lot of money on firewalls, and, you know, you had all the big players like Palo. Well, I guess that was more 10 years ago, but, you know, they came out with, you know, the best firewall, you know, since sliced bread was invented. Yeah. So it feels like that part of the IT security, that's really not overprotected, but that's, it's now this highest level for hackers, at least when we're talking about, like, our clients doing assessments, that's usually not the main threat vector or path of attack. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that evolving throughout your career? And what do you, what do you think yeah. the future's like? Around yeah, we, um, so I am on the attack surface management team now, and that's what we do. Uh, the attack surface is forever expanding, you know, with IOT, IOT, and, and a, a lot of different, you know, BYOD if you work in those type of organizations. So uh, any type of vector that a, 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 a threat actor can use to gain access is it has to be thought of from the top down. We have to have a plan in place to have overlapping security controls to you know, at least notify us if something is happening, right? So um, I, th- I think the threats of the future are, you know, I always keep my eye on the OWASP top 10. Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of moved around a little bit this year. Yep. Um, I think um, broken authentication is number one when it usually is injection. So um, things like that, I mean, those are going to flip and flop. But my biggest thing is the, the, the individual, the person, the weakest part of the whole equation, right? You can spend a billion dollars on your security c- controls, but if you don't have the security awareness of the people that's working in the organization, um, it doesn't matter how much money you spend. Agreed. So I think uh, getting the uh, human factor uh, figured out to where it can be better than what it is, whether that is putting, you know, a little bit more expectation on it. Because I've worked in organizations where I had the opportunity to see those phishing reports come out every month. Yeah. And you'll be surprised the numbers that people fall for over and over and over again. It's like there's um, no learning um, from the 
yeah. training. So or they just don't care. It's just, that's that's much. the hardest part is you know how do you relate like how do you relate IT security to the folks who like well their job is like let's say they're selling pencils for a living. Yeah. I and mean, why should they? I mean, how do we convey to them like hey if you click that link you could cripple your ability to sell because all of a sudden you take down our Salesforce instance or yeah. something. Yeah. It has to be something. I mean, incentives or it has to be some type of, um, you know, tied to evaluation. I don't know. Oh, yeah. But it has to be something with teeth on it because, um, you know, you can come out and do these assessments month over month and you're not really seeing any improvement. Yeah. Um, it's definitely, uh, that's the biggest threat that I see coming. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, um, you know, Information can be a vulnerability, right? I mean, because if you can get somebody to panic and have a response that that's not warranted, then that's a threat also. Absolutely. So I think people just have to – it's kind of like in the military, right? Um, regardless of what your primary role is in the military, everyone's a rifleman. Yeah. You know, and I think we have to have that type of uh, outlook, you know, in organizations or in, 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 in any uh, enterprise yeah. to just make the security more – robust and it can, can keep things safe right. along with the technology that we spend all the money on. Right. right. So it's like yeah. the tools, it can be the best, best tools on planet, but you gotta make sure that you utilize properly or correctly. That's right. I like that's that right. analogy though, with that everyone's a rifleman. Cause that's a really, that's true. I mean, every company needs to really have their employees have a best interest. I've seen the best results we've seen with our clients is like say, you have some type of incentive programs where we had one where, you know, whoever had the best security, you know, you do quizzes every, you know, four weeks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whoever has the highest score, you get points. And, you know, per quarter, whoever that highest score would get, like, a nice, you know, $3,000 laptop that they can take home or, you know, similar swag or accoutrements. And just those little incentives, like, the total incentive packages were, the cost for those were under five grand per quarter. But, I mean, the rates went down by double digits for, like, the click rates or um, phishing emails. Yeah. And they performed so much better on all their security assessments. It's just one of those things where – it pays for itself because that you know we as we both know you know one hack yeah. it's going to cost much much oh, yeah. more than five grand. I, <laughs> I, I had two statistics I want to uh, kick off if I'm not mistaken. I think they're the data breach for the uh, big corporation. Mm -hmm. The average uh, cost of a data breach is nine point four million dollars, and ninety five percent of all incidents, cyber incidents, mm -hmm. uh, trace back to the end user. I believe it. So yeah. you know that's a big big problem that we have that we have to work on. Oh, absolutely. I mean, a lot of those companies are, especially the more mature companies, they're past the point of, you know, having the cliche mistake of admin, admin, you know, yeah. credentials. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But they also, they all have humans, and humans are, by nature, infallible mm -hmm. or vulnerable. But all it takes is one person, like, oh, yeah, Microsoft wants my credentials to authorize something, or, you know, they're asking for the re password reset. Yeah, I'll do that right off the bat. Yeah. And it's gotten to the point where some of those email spoofs are so beautifully, graphically designed, and oh, yeah. it looks legit. So it's, I mean, the URL rewrite is a must for everyone's email, like when I'm talking about email security, but yeah, just cult constantly cultivating that culture. And I think another thing, the next frontier, another thing I think that more security consultants and conversations should include is kind of the, the extended family of all the employees, especially when everyone is working from home. I mean, a lot of the CEOs and C-suites and all the accountants who control the money transfers for the company, wire transfers, I mean, a lot of them are living with families, they got kids. How many of those kids are using apps like, the TikTok or something like that. That's right. That's right. And how many of those are connected right on the same network and all of a sudden they become an easy target just by, right. pro by proxy. That's right. And it's funny you say that because I also think that in the future we're going to see a lot of uh, with 
um, how can I say this without? So from nation state actors, right? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, uh, I, th I think that we have to be able to discern um, what's real and what's not real. Just because we see it doesn't mean that it's true, right? Right. Um, so you have to be able to vet information um, because just imagine if um, someone could send text messages out to, you know, a, a cell phone network and everyone receives this text messages and it just yeah. causes pan, you know, panic. Absolutely. You know, that's business disruption also. So um, hopefully those things are being looked at at a high level and, um, you know, those are the things that I look at you know, and think about, you know, being in the military, I always have this scenario running in my mind. What if, what yeah. if, what if? So, always. And, and this is how I kind of, it's not being a visionary, but kind of just putting my focus in the right areas. That's a good, that's a brilliant, good outlook to have, especially with IT security. I mean, what about, the things that are fascinating me the most these days are the technological evolution around the, the deep fakes. Where oh, you, yeah. you can make it look like someone is saying something when it's really just, not magic, it's technology, but... Yeah it looks just like the real person. Like they're doing this with like a couple of politicians and celebrities where you're seeing the videos and you're thinking they're, and I think there's gonna be a lot of, you know, political and then as well as business espionage or um, sabotage where yeah. it could look like the CEO of Apple is saying something and it looks right. just like his face and it sounds just like him because it's his voice, but they've switched the order of everything and it, all of a sudden their stock crashes. Just because of one speech. That's right. That's right. But that could have been a competitor or a nation state or someone else. So that's that's really been fascinating me lately. Is how could the the power of that technology be? I I'm trying to think of what good it could be used for, but I think more likely, how is that going to be used as a tool? How is that weapon going to be utilized? And what can we do to stop it? Exactly. I mean, I guess the bigger stick theory is you invent an analytics tool or some type of software that can detect that it is, in fact, a deep fake. Mm -hmm. And then it would just be kind of the cliche back and forth of building the tool, and whichever has a more advanced tool, that's going to be the winning technology of the moment. Yeah. It creates a lot of interesting conversations I've had with some friends, right? I mean, you know, it's good that we can create this technology and have it, but um, I think a lot of times, like, it's kind of like cloning, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we know we have the technology to do it. Yeah. But ethically... We stay away from that stuff, right? Well, the US, I mean, the, U the U.S. does. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the U.S. does. And so it's kind of like we're almost getting there with technology, right? We yeah. know we can do certain things, but how far do we go? Or do we stop? Do we have a strength? Exactly. You know? So it, it's just a lot of, you know, conversations to have, I guess. I, the pessimist in me or the uh, realist, depending on what, you, depending on what the definition you're going with, I'm thinking, we no, we're not, <laughs> we're not stopping. I mean, yeah. And it's also, you could also argue it's a national security thing because some some countries have zero limits or ethics. So they're going to push the envelope with technology, you know, from cloning to quantum computing and more. They're not slowing down, and they have a lot of resources. Sure. So it's kind of that rabbit hole of what will you do to combat the enemy, even if it means you become them. It's yeah. that's one of the scary things to think about. Like. Quantum computing and AI will be the biggest tool and or threat in history, I believe. Yes. I mean, it's, it goes back to the technological mar marvel of like when IBM first was founded over 100 years ago. It was a conglomeration of a four different companies, but the main thing was the moneymaker was a tabulation technology. And that one technology changed the world because it took tax. A census used to take, you know, six to months to 
to a year, all of a sudden, thanks to the tabulation technology, which in layman's terms for the folks at home was basically a piece of paper with holes and you have pins go in the holes and you'd read them to calculate things such as quantities. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of a sudden those tasks were taking hours yeah, yeah. with a quarter of the man hours and, and, you know, physical man working the machines and everything. Yeah. So I think it'll be interesting to see how AI works for humanity. After, like I remember even, I think it was four or five years ago, HPE was bragging about one of their latest breakthroughs with um, their supercomputer technologies. And they were saying how within X amount of time we'll, we'll be able to kill be able to cure Alzheimer's, which would be, that'd be miraculous. That'd be great. That's one of the, one of the big topics. I don't think it gets enough attention personally in terms of medical coverage. Mm -hmm. So that's something where that tool could be used for extraordinarily good. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And on the downside, it could also, you know, punch a hole through a nation state's firewall and go right after their data. So. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, we, we have a lot of, uh, I think work cut out ahead of us and we have to make sure we keep that flow of new people coming into the industry so absolutely that we can uh you know combat some of this stuff and, and uh you know move forward absolutely that that's another thing is how do we how do we keep the industry alive and attractive for the youth that are coming up where that looks like a cool thing to do like they want to be an ethical hacker they want to work with technology they want to be an engineer i mean that's something where i think there would be there'd be a lot of societal benefit in the united states if we had that as more of a value in our culture system where yeah. like if you look at uh, not to sound cliche or you know old school but like if you look at the media these days like what they're glorifying like like thomas sewell like you know they're not they're not focusing a lot on philosophers or you know scientists but i mean that, that's the scary thing about tiktok not to go down that rabbit hole but have you heard how they alter the content geographically. Yeah, with the algorithms, right? Yes. So you're getting a lot of junk if you're in the West. And oh, yeah. If you're in China, you're getting all the good, uplifting stuff. Oh, it's, astro it's yeah. fascinating. And that's what also makes me wonder, because, I mean, they posted a, I think it was $8 billion loss recently, mm -hmm. TikTok, fiscally as a company. But granted, I don't think they care, because it's basically controlled by the country. Oh, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. but no, it's fun, it's, uh, fascinating. So in the United States, you look at TikTok, um, a lot of the youth who use it, they show things about how the United States is not a good country, according to TikTok, and they also shows a lot of glorification of uh, mental, mental disorders and a lot, a lot of things that aren't making you a stronger or better person. Yeah. And of course, you, there's no limits um, on the usage per hour in the United States if you're a youth using the TikTok. However, in China, the things they get that are advertisements or being promoted, they're telling them about the country's achievements yeah. and how they could be a great asset and they could be great if they were a scientist like they make being a stem field worker an awesome attractive option and they also have locks in china for the usage of hours mm -hmm. so it's fascinating kind of like how a lot of tech leaders they don't or i guess drug dealers too they don't let their kids like i think zuckerberg said he would never let or no sorry tim cook mm -hmm. and steve jobs both said they would never let their kid use an ipad like they don't want their Children using the technology tells you a lot about the technology that they're making, I think. Yeah, I, I, I think it handic it's, it's good in a way because I've learned a lot of things on the Internet, right? Oh, yeah, I absolutely. Mean, you can get on YouTube and you can learn anything, right? Oh, so, yeah, um, it, it also has this downside that, yeah. you know, you don't know how to go to the library and get a book. You don't, yeah. you don't know how to research. <laughs> you don't know how to vet information, right? It's just whatever you see, that's what you believe and you run off with it. And, you know, to some extent, that can be a national security threat, too. So I agree. Um, it, it makes you lazy um, because you expect it to, you know, 
not uplift you yeah. or make you smarter. Agree. Use it strictly for just entertainment. Yeah. And that's where the hole is, in my opinion. Oh no, I, no, no, I agree. Especially that's another thing where I used to be a really uh, big advocate of the browser called uh, DuckDuckGo because originally they started the company where we're going to give you unbiased filters. So if you search for something, we're not manipulating what's the top result. Uh, and a lot of my more independent friends um, really appreciated that because you weren't being pushed a narrative or you weren't being pushed a particular sponsor if you're looking for a product or a solution. Mm-hmm. And But then Ukraine broke out, and they specifically said they were going to manipulate the, the CEO of DuckDuckGo said he was going to manipulate the news feeds so you would not see any Russian news. Wow. And yeah. it's one of those things where I always think the best arguments are or the best way to discuss philosophies and ideas is to have conversations, not shut them down. Mm-hmm. And if I, even if I don't agree with someone or I think it's BS, I would rather hear their conversation so that you can combat those ideas and learn their perspective. Mm-hmm. So I don't, as soon as I learned that they were starting to manipulate that news feed, I was like, I just walked away. And they lost a lot of users after that. So I immediately uninstalled the app. And now my friends now are using like the browser, um, Brave browser. Yeah, yeah. But it is true, like a lot of people, like, you know, my parents, a lot of folks like, how is Google so rich? Like, they don't charge for anything. I'm like, no, your data is worth gold. Oh, yeah. It's like when you search for shoes, there are companies paying X amount of dollars to be the very first search result. Because, like, when you're, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too sometimes, how many times do people go to the page three of Google if you're searching for a product or a service? Yeah, I mean, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, there's got to be conspiracy theory. Like, there is no third page. Like, all the p- other pages are just blank. Because yeah. who would know? I mean, <laughs> you just, yeah. you don't go that deep. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's a, it's a lot to think about, a lot to digest. And but I, I do think that we have to come up with a better plan. Even back to what you're talking about, you know, how those algorithms work on right. these uh, social media platforms. You know, how can we do the same thing mm-hmm. without infringing on people's rights? You know, mm-hmm. so that's that's a lot of uh, conversations to be had. Um, you know, one side of me says, you know, sometimes you have to make hard decisions mm-hmm. for the better of all. You yeah. know, and then. Know, then it's an infringement, right? So right. It, it's it's tough, and I think we have a lot of questions to ask ourselves as this technology starts, you know, to expand even more. I agree, and it's going to be a hard conversation. And you know, I don't, you know, the laws I don't think have even caught all the way up with the technology. <laughs> so oh, that, I mean, yeah, yeah, we still on, you know, phone book laws. And I mean, that, <laughs> that I mean, fun fun. Fun thing about politics, just search a YouTube video of any politician talking about technology. It's like, I remember Facebook, um, what was it, the 2016 election where um, Facebook, they were being, they were in hot water because Russia paid for some ads or political ads. Mm-hmm. And like these, you know, older senators who, they're not on Facebook, obviously. I shouldn't say obviously. Many of them are not on Facebook. And they were, they were interviewing Mark, like, so uh, Mr. Zuckerberg, um, you don't charge for the, to be a member or, or a user. So how do you make money? <laughs> like, like they don't even re- they yeah. don't know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the laws have to catch up with the technology, you know, and maybe then um, we can start those other conversations. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it works out for us. Oh yeah, I mean, I think as pessimistic as I am about the increased censorship on um, social media platforms and video platforms, I'm more optimistic or try to be optimistic that your average person is open to having more conversations about these topics. And it's not just about yelling at each other, although there's certainly a lot of that on the internet. And it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, you know, it's just, it's to me, it's just, 
I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy <laughs> to me, you know, when I see some of the stuff I see. But um, I, I just think, you know, education oh, yeah. is like a key component of that. Agree. And maybe hitting uh, demographics that, you know, underrepresented in technology even oh, yeah. more so that they can, you know, um, have that cyber awareness. Absolutely. You know, and know what's really going on. It's a real game out here. And I don't think the average citizen knows you know, how dangerous this stuff is. Absolutely. They, yeah. I think that's that's a good, so I think that's a good thing about, I've seen, like, just talking with uh, fa- friends and family community, in terms of, you know, younger users are getting smarter where they know not to click on the BS links or, like, you know, getting, you got a phone call or an email from, you know, Amazon, we want to refund you $500. Mm-hmm. So like, they know Amazon's not going to do that. Like, no, they know yeah. it's a scam. So I think... Th- that's very good that those types of awarenesses are increasing. So I think more and more are getting interested in the topic and they're trying to take it seriously, and especially when it starts to affect their bank accounts. So actually I was having a conversation with someone about, you know, you know, incentive versus uh, punishment for like employees of a company to care about IT security. Mm-hmm. I almost wonder, would it make sense to have like an employee bonus? So at the end of the year, if, the company didn't get hacked and everyone did well at their security awareness training, everyone gets a percentage bonus. Sure. However, what if the what if the company gets hacked, you deduct how many how many of them? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's would get their intention, but I mean <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that'll be a hard one, because I, I think, you know, from a security standpoint, you you know, you can't control what the threat actor do, but and and you know, it's bound to happen, especially if you're a known company or you know yeah. you're a small company that didn't have enough resources to have the personnel in place to defend your networks. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that would that would be tough, you know, right. because I think anybody can be breached at any time. I think the the important piece is data lossage, you know, and um, the data leakage, and you know how fast you can recover, and is there an interruption in business? Yeah. So you know, yeah. As well, another thing people are still learning about, like your data is worth more than oil or gold. Oh yeah, like that. I think it was was it twenty eighteen? Like the, for the first time in history, the most valuable asset on the planet was not a natural resource. It was not natural gas or crude oil. It was data. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I think a lot of employees are starting to realize we need to take this seriously because if our confidential data like goes, the company goes. It is, it's funny you say that. I was just thinking about social media, right? And every yeah. once in a while, you'll see people pasting and copying this post that says, I don't allow Facebook to use my, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, uh, that, that does you know good. You're not very right? educated, Yeah, you, yeah, you need to read the fine print before you signed <laughs> up, that, you know. That reminds me of, like, the cliche Michael, Sh- Michael Scott from The Office. When he tries to co- declare bankruptcy, he just walks into the middle of the office and he yells it. Like, oh, I <laughs> declare bankruptcy. It's like, that's exactly what you're doing when you're posting that Yes. Oh, yeah. I don't give you permission on Facebook. It's their platform. And they own everything, everything about it, and you're volunteering to go into it. It's yeah. yeah. Granted, uh, granted, I granted, uh, if I had any power to change laws or incentives, if I if I was in a political position, I would love to have it so that every law and user agreement had to be in plain, understandable English, mm-hmm. and Less than one page, which I know accountants would. Yeah, I think there's, uh, there's actually a group yeah. of pushing for that because yeah. it's just too much to read and it's very it's small. It's bull. It's, it's BS. Yeah. Like no one knows the language. So, 
I swear that one of the founding fathers wanted that too. Like, there's there's some writing out there. It's a good idea, but it should be written in such a way that the average American can comprehend it, yeah. and they could choose to participate in your product or service or not. Yeah. But That's nowadays right. you have click these terms and conditions, and it's 35, 50, 100 pages. Like, no one. Yeah. I mean, maybe a lawyer just if they're that'd be a good YouTube channel. A lawyer could read all that and translate it. Yeah. I'd find that entertaining, but yeah. your average person is not. They don't have the time because, you know, we all got stuff to do, and they, they just don't have the bandwidth to do that. It's, it's legal jargon, right? It's legal yeah, exa language. So ex exactly. And you need a magnifying <laughs> glass when you, if you are going to read it. Yes. You need a sandwich because <laughs> yeah. it's going to take you a day. Or, or <laughs> so, more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Um, wow. The company has to cover its, you know, dot its I's and cross its oh, yeah. T's, and it's, it's a lot. So, And I know they have to protect themselves to a certain extent. I mean, I'm all about that. I'm just wondering, I mean – why does it have to be so complicated? Why, sure. why can't they, you know, why couldn't it be, I say this, it's just, why couldn't it be more transparent? Yeah, yeah. Which I know it's kind of cliche to say, but there's just a lot of unknowns, a lot of concerning things, like especially about Facebook. I remember, was it a couple, maybe about a year ago, a couple of politicians overseas, they started to notice that, hey, you know, you know, a couple of years ago, we used to have all this press. We talked about, hey, I'm Bob running for office. Here's my ideals. This is what I stand for. And they would get a fair amount of traffic. And then they noticed recently, if they said, hey, here I am, this is my position, this is what I believe in, this is why you should vote for me, they wouldn't get any traction. Or they wouldn't get a lot of clicks or comments. However, once they started, hey, my, my name is Bob, my competitor is evil, he is bad because X, Y, Z, he's terrible, you need to go vote against me, the other guy's terrible. Then they noticed they got a bunch of likes, comments, and traffic to the articles, yeah. to those posts. So. Facebook was literally manipulating or using their algorithm to manipulate the posts so that the ones that were the most confrontational mm -hmm. were the ones that were getting the most clicks, the most attention. That's the kind of thing that concerns me because that's literally manipulating. Yeah, that, eh, that's that's psychological warfare, I would argue. Yeah, that's absolutely. And, and, you know, to couple with that, I just think it's in our culture too, right? Yeah. Because drama sales oh yeah and drama <laughs> is a money maker right and oh, uh, yeah. you know people make money off of that so true um yeah we, that's another conversation that, that's that, that fascinates yeah. me though because i mean it is sadly disappointed i think at the end of the day it is human nature because i i ran my own experience i i noticed where so i'll post things about my business and my you know things all the time on linkedin mm -hmm. i noticed like i used to do a thing where once a month i would give like a shout out to a business or some type of experience that i had in terms of i had a positive reaction with I remember like a good one is Uline, the packaging company. Like if I ever need boxes or any materials for work, it'll always arrive, you know, ahead of schedule and it'll be packed. They li they literally put more care into packaging collapsed boxes than some companies that ship me glass. <laughs> so they they do a great job. And like I posted that on LinkedIn and I might have gotten like a maybe one thousand, two thousand views as opposed to my average post where I'm talking about either business achievements or like if I do a poll about a controversial topic like um i think yesterday no, actually today i was asking you know op so opec c just canceled or they're decreasing the amount of production should we have canceled the no, the pipeline the keystone xl expansion and those get infinitely more clicks like views comments because they're just not all nice i guess kind fluff pieces or yeah. so i don't know if it's human nature but it is a little sad like because i tried that for about a year like doing the positive posts and just very few people cared. I did, I did too. Yeah. And, I, and like I said, yeah, you, you can say 10 good things, right? Beautiful things, inspirational things. Yeah. 
no responses, right? But yeah. as soon as you come with some negativity, it sells. It sells big time. Which yeah, that's just you know, and and I think we have to you know look at ourselves and why does that work? Yeah, yeah. It's like it is like there is refreshing. Certain industries traditionally kept away. I mean, the automotive industry in particular, kind of a uh, little transit thought. I mean, their advertising used to be very competitive, going directly competing, comparing you know horsepower, fuel economy, luxury amenities, and they would say how it would name a specific competitor where you know they didn't have that. I mean, they, you know, basically they suck. We rock fire stuff. But more recently, at least the car ads that I've seen is much more only talking about themselves and the pro- the product, the uh, positive parts of their products. So it is it is interesting to see certain companies and certain industries have transitioned to using that technique to going away from it. Um, I, it'd be interesting to see why and if it's just as effective or more or less. Yes, yeah, it's, it's um. It's funny, you were saying that, I thought about McDonald's and Burger King back right. in the day, right? That was like a big thing. Yeah. Just to see those commercials a lot. You don't see them now, right? No. So, yeah, I think, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of psychology involved, I guess. And, uh, I, you know, y- years ago, before I got night see, I had a friend that worked at a supermarket. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of off the subject, but it just shows psychology and business, right? I love it. So, um he told me he had to go take a class one time mm-hmm. where they showed them how to take the boxes, the, the product, mm-hmm. and place them so that the colors, the company already does their part with the colors, right, on the box. It's supposed to attract your attention and put you in a certain mood. Yeah. And so his, his he had to go to a class to teach them how to place those on the shelf. So mm-hmm. when the customer walks down the aisle and looks down the aisle, mm-hmm. the, the product, you know, is viewed in a certain you know, oh, yeah. way that it makes you want to go down the aisle. Mm. Um, casinos do the same thing, right? Oh, they have yeah. certain sounds. Uh, the carpet is a certain color. There's no clocks. Lights. <laughs> yeah, so. Um, and I always said, I had this conversation in a class one time, psychology class, actually. And I said, you know, what's the liability, right? So if, if I'm a person that has a spending problem mm. and I'm in your store i came in on free will but if yeah. you're actually playing this music and has this casino you know with these sounds and it's yeah. i mean what's the liability on that and I, it's not to push blame on somebody else it just shows that there is an effort out there to use psychology against you oh absolutely uh, on, they, the, on the commerce side of the house so yeah i mean casinos casinos patent the sense they use so that you recognize that scent and you associate it with good fond memories yeah i mean there's the, the amount of technology and psychology into casinos fascinates me because it is vastly more complex than any individual can possibly comprehend, especially if you're not in technology, you're not in marketing or because there's all those things where I've been to a casino a couple of times and I'm pretty frugal. I don't like to gamble really. Oh, I gamble, but it's just reinvesting in the business is my gambling. But yeah. like when it comes to casinos, I'm fascinated to see like Certain states do have er, certain requirements, like you have to have the stats posted for blackjack, I think, in a couple states. Okay. Um, or, sorry, not blackjack, um, roulette. But it is fascinating because when you walk in, it's all, every piece of furniture, just like a supermarket, it is all specifically tested, designed to make it a most cohesive experience it's that you don't want to leave. Exactly. And it's just, I mean, going back to the placement of, products at the supermarket. I remember um, t- taking a marketing class in college where I didn't realize this until the professor told us, but he was talking about the logistics and the studying of cereal. 
And if you go to the cereal or go to the cereal aisle at any grocery store, you'll see, you know, you got Raisin Bran. What was the other ones? You have like the, not Frosted Flakes, the, um, just the corn, yeah, corn like, flakes. yeah, corn flakes, raisin bran, and what's the another uh, like grape nuts, like all the adult ones without flashy mascots. Those are usually at eye level for adults, or maybe you know five to six feet. However, if you go lower, you know three feet, four feet, the ground, all of those cereals are the colorful ones, the mascots like Lucky Charms, yeah. and that's because and you know Tony the Tiger with frosted flakes, and that's because the kids are shorter than the moms, and it's just psychology the kids are going to see it because they're eye level and they're going to make noise they're going to want it because it has a mascot on it yeah, yeah. that's what happened look fruit loops is mine exactly yeah yeah that, that little bird <laughs> yeah yeah and so. the funny marketing thing they legally misspell fruit because there's no fruit it's you know it's cornstarch sugar and they, they spray they spray vitamins on it so they can brag about it, it has nutritional value mm. so they do spray it full of vitamins so it does technically have it yeah. but they are also delicious yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. And, and where is all this going to go when smell-o-vision becomes commonplace? Because, you know, those yeah, TVs are coming I, too, right? So I don't – so they, I know they, they – this technology has been played around with actually for decades. And they, there's actually been patents around it as well. And they have had a production of a smell alarm clock where an alarm clock will come out with a scent. Mm-hmm. But TVs, part of me thinks – because the, the clock that was patented and su- successfully produced, it had like four different basic scents. Mm-hmm. But if you're watching something on the TV, there's so many, I almost think there's too many variables for us to make it happen with the, with the current technology. And I almost, I almost would wonder how many people would want that. But I mean, you all, with TVs especially, you do need to find basically gimmicks to sell them because because we've gotten to the point where the human eye can only see 4K. We cannot see a better resolution until we start augmenting our eyes, mm-hmm. which will probably happen soon, but not today. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's gotten to the point where how else can we sell a TV these days? We can't yeah. say we make it thinner, great, but it's mostly a static object. You throw it on the wall. So, I remember a couple of years ago, they tried to make it curved, and they said it was a better experience. It was, I guess, if you were sitting in the middle, but <laughs> how else could they make it work? So, with smell vision like, if I'm thinking of the average things that I'm watching or listening, well, I guess more appropriately listening because I'm always working, not watching, and it's like, a lot of them are like war movies, comedies. So I don't know if I would want to smell, oh, actually, no, I, I do like yeah. the smell of burnt brass or spent brass. That's, that's slightly euphoric. But I, I always think the only channel that would work with or the main medium that would work with around the subject would be like the, food, the cooking network or the food channel. Yeah. So... Technology moves faster, so it might happen, but I don't know. I think it might. What, what, are, your, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't want one. No? Uh, yeah, I'm going to stay away from that. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go that way. That's, that's too much for me. Yeah. You know. Uh, maybe if it's, if it's, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe you can enjoy a movie better, you know, if you're in a <laughs> battlefield and you smell the smoke and you can but, feel all this. But you, I, I don't know if I want to do it. But people really want to smell guts and, like, burnt these. I don't – it's – maybe – now, yeah, I, I can see that being good – Actually, no, I'm ar- maybe it will happen. I'm already thinking of military and fire and police. I'm already, already thinking of commercial applications to make this utterly ridiculously profitable. Like, <laughs> if you could simulate that instead of having someone in the real world that, yeah. Um, I was going to say, we got to start our business. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. That's right. And what do you like but to do outside the office? Oh, well, uh, I lift weights. Um, I box, you know, boxing. Oh, really? um, uh, I like to eat. 
course. Oh yeah. I'm on a high calorie thing now, so I'm oh, really? eating a lot. Yo, know, trying to bulk up a little bit, so I'm lifting weights, uh, usually lunchtime or in the morning, mm-hmm. and I'm boxing in the afternoon after work. That's awesome. So you got bon- uh, a punching bag or you a class? No, I go or? to a gym. Oh really? Which one? Uh, I go to Mayweather Fitness and Boxing. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's a combination of a lot of things. So uh, boxing, six rounds of boxing with the bags, um, and we have cardio, and we have weights. Oh, cool. So it's, we do it like a round robin for like an hour, 15 minutes. That sounds intense. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. You drench when you come out of there. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's how you know you got a good workout. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and what, what first got you into fasting? Oh, yeah. So I, I fast uh, probably every three months. Um, I just think that, you know, it goes back to marketing, right? We always bombarded with, hey, come eat here, come eat there. You can't get in your car and drive a mile without seeing a billboard. You All know, right. Something. So I, I think we eat too much, you know, um, and it takes a little discipline, you know. But um, I just try to fast um, at least until 12 o'clock, and then I have me a meal. Now, sometimes I will have something, but it's kind of light. It's real yeah. light. Um, I just started the uh, cachava. Oh, really? What's that? It's like a um, a blend of whole grain of fruits, vegetables, and, and things like that. You blend it up, and you have it like a shake. Really? Yeah. And that's so um, that's something I just started. And I usually mix that with like a banana. Oh, yeah. And some peanut butter. And it tastes nice. Good, so. uh, but the fasting part, you know, the longest I ever went on a fast was probably five days. Five? Five days. Oh um, gosh. What the first day wow. is always tough. How? What, what do you do? So was it only water in the five days? Or Yeah, water. Um, first thing in the morning, I have a little bit of salt water, you know, just to really? keep my electrolytes mm-hmm. in check. And um, maybe a tablespoon of Himalayan salt mm-hmm. uh, with warm water. That's usually the first thing I drink in the morning while I'm fasting. And then after that, it's just water. Um, um, usually three days is enough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but one time I went five days, I just felt so good. Really? The first day was tough. Maybe first day, first day and a half was real tough. But um, after that, man, I was I was ninja kicking stuff all over the parking lot. I was really? up early in the morning before the alarm went off. I was full of energy, and believe it or not, I wasn't even hungry anymore after no like way. my second day. Yeah. Wow. So after that, so you actually felt like you had more energy though. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I need to try that out then. <laughs> Clarity, my thinking. Uh, you know, of course, I'm burning fat, oh, yeah. getting all those good ketones. So. Um, yeah, it was just, it's a, it's a, it's a win-win. You can watch a lot of videos on it and read a lot of books on it. And, um, yeah, I try to stay on that. It'll probably be next year before I do it again. Cause I'm going through my little bulking phase now. I, I try to book and put on a little weight in the winter and the fall. Right. And then, you know, I, uh, ride around in my swimsuit when I'm spring and summertime. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much it. Um, I, I enjoy it. Um, and then, you know, I come from a family where we show love at the dinner table yeah. at Thanksgiving and Christmas. So I can't be fasting oh, at yeah. that time because, <laughs> yeah. you know, I just miss out on so much. So, yeah. Best wow. meals of the year. You can't squeeze. You can't skip oh, those. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy it. Um, I try to take care of my health. I prep meals throughout the week for the most part. Sometimes I have a cheat meal every two days, you know. So, you know but um, a lot of rice, broccoli. Um, spinach, oh, yeah. uh, chicken, fish, yeah. All Keep it simple. All the healthy good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, my buddy just got me into air frying, and I've been having the air oh, fried yeah. chicken. Mm-hmm. Where you just put some seasoning on it, and it tastes phenomenal. Oh, yeah. I, I do my fishing, man. You know, 
little Mrs. Dash. Oh yeah. And uh, you know, about eight minutes in the air fryer, man, and it's it's good to go. Yeah. And out of curiosity, what are your thoughts on what was that deep fryer called? It's like the Ninja deep fryer. Have you ever tried that out? I haven't. I haven't seen that. Yeah, I I've been using it for a couple weeks now. I swear it's one of the best investments I ever used. Like I. I used to blend a lot of my meals with all the vegetables and stuff, so now I'm starting to throw them in there. It's, gosh dang, it's making cooking healthy a lot easier. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll check it out. Ninja. Oh, yeah. Air fryer. Okay. Makes good stuff. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, I, I know you got to get going. Thank you so much for your service, and thank you so much for coming to show up there. Hey, thanks for inviting me. It was Enjoy. a pleasure to be here to speak with you. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I look forward to coming back and doing this again. Anytime you feel like it, just let me know. Oh, David, thank you so much. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to click like and subscribe. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your friends again. Tell anyone, just stay safe. Have a great day. Topping Talks.